Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A smart contract is a computer program or a transaction protocol which is intended to automatically execute, control, or document legally relevant events and actions according to the terms of a contract or an agreement. The objectives of smart contracts are the reduction of need in trusted intermediaries, arbitrators, and enforcement costs, fraud losses, as well as reduction of malicious and accidental exemptions. And I have clearly read that from Wikipedia. <laughs> but to okay, make things very simple, essentially, when both of you go into a smart contract, that means we have a mutual agreement on something. If let's say you do A, I will give you B. That is the general idea. So if both of you go into a smart contract, there is no way that this thing can be falsified. If you do A, I will definitely give you B. And that is why there is no need for intermediary to cross-check this whole thing. And fundamentally, the beauty of smart contract is it can change the the way we operate finance, the way we transact insurance, the way many, many of these things in our modern world. Because if you have not realised, many of our sectors are really acting as the intermediary from your auditors to your bankers to your brokers. A lot of people are standing in the middle of transactions to make things happen so that everybody abide by the arrangement. But with smart contracts, all these people essentially can pangkang and take a break. So how then can we make money from smart contracts, right? I mean, it's been around for a while, but it's taken center stage and that's what we're going to talk about it. Ethereum is one of the first guys that allows for smart contracts to be executed on their public blockchain. So interested to find out how you can potentially make money from this? Welcome home. Welcome to another Choose with TFC session. In this series, we hope to bring on interesting, relevant people to help us learn better from various perspectives. Life is not always about learning from people that you already agree with. Perspectives shape around the thinkers. So in our pursuit of the life we love while managing our finances, well, our guest for today is representing a highly innovative company that was born out of NUS, National University of Singapore. They somehow managed to find a way to increase their transaction numbers compared to Bitcoin and Ethereum. The reality is Ether 1.0 can only process about 15 to 30 transactions per second. These guys can do 2,800 transactions per second while Visa and Masters are processing more than 5,000 transactions per second. So what does that mean? From a technological standpoint, they are really creating a breakthrough to encompass and cover all these processes and transactions that we need to you know, keep our modern life going. So with all that innovation going on, how then can we retail investors profit from this? How should we embrace the technology of smart contracts? So let's welcome Mr. Colin Miles, Chief Commercial Advisor of Zelika. How did you got attracted to this space? What the, got you there? Yeah, the, the interest was I'd seen people try and create money for so many different times and places and sites and create their own currencies, online currencies, and, and none of them had really worked. Uh, even there was e-gold, right, in the uh, early days, uh, David Chalm and all those guys were cryptographically creating e-money and uh, trying to crack that nut, and no one had actually cracked that nut, uh, trying to put the ultimate uh, digital currency together. And uh, this 
particular one was getting a lot of traction in uh, my peer group. And so people were saying, hey, you know, there's this thing called Bitcoin and you can use it to buy coffee here and there. And it's just... Uh, <laughs> Who uses it to buy coffee? Electronic money. <laughs> Because in you know in 2013 it was $300 for one, right? Mm. And it was divisible by 100 million satoshis. So you, you could break it down and break it down and just pay a small amount of uh, fiat currency for anyone who had the technology. And a friend of mine had built uh, that point-of-sale technology um, a couple of years later. I was quite heavily involved in the startup community. So, yeah, it was uh, good to see it in action in real life in Talakaya uh, uh, and uh, that was our mobile ghetto so we were always hanging around there watching startups create interesting projects um, and that was my first introduction to Bitcoin, blockchain and uh, actually crypto anarchists, people who really felt that they were going to disrupt the entire industry and disrupt every part of uh, what humans do and, and how they exchange value, right? So mm -hmm. this is a fundamental change in uh, human behavior when you can just literally zap each other currency. Cool stuff. And then how did you end up in Zilliqa? Yeah, so I had a, a slight uh, trip out to the UK for a while and uh, tried to set something up there. Brexit happened, wasn't really a great <laughs> environment, to be fair. But during that time, I, I studied uh, a couple of online courses, which I highly recommend everyone does. Uh, six-week courses, uh, eight-week courses in blockchain and uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, one was from Side Business School, uh, University of Oxford, and then uh, University uh, Berkeley was uh, the other one that I did, which was slightly more technical, which I thought was, you know, challenging. But you had to kind of get into it. So <laughs> if you want to be here, you got to know what's going on. Yeah, right? I thought you know I'd seen a lot of people putting blockchain on their LinkedIn profiles and uh, having certificates from universities which taught it as usual, gave me that sense of validation. And it's clear that if you want a career in blockchain, then at least you've got the credentials to back it up. So that was why I did it. Uh, a friend of mine was setting up a company here, so he said to come back and, and invest in that company, which I did. So that's focusing on um, decentralized identification, DID, self-sovereign identity, SSI. We do have a lot of jargon in this business. And uh, I joined. I joined in. Uh, did a year of uh, you know sweat equity as a director, and it's uh, quite exciting to see that company grow. And then someone asked if I fancied uh, joining a company as a marketing guy for um, Zilliqa, a company that I'd seen at launch in Singapore, 2018. I was very impressed with the scale of transactions that they could process. Obviously, 2,800 plus from the test net. So I felt that this was an opportunity to put into the retail domain, the real-life domain uh, blockchain that could actually process thousands of transactions uh, enough to at least support uh, you know, economy like Singapore where um, you know, previously you have Visa and MasterCard doing point-of-sale transactions or nets um, and now the blockchain could finally be brought into the real-life um, payment structures that we currently have because there was no limitation really on the processing speed, which Ethereum had and Bitcoin had. So Silica solved that problem. Nice. Could you just kind of help us understand why is the scale of transactions so important? Yeah, so simultaneous transaction processing, I've come through so many iterations of this. When you have multiple transactions taking place at the same time in a similar network, then it can cause congestion. And so the design of 
the Bitcoin blockchain, the design of the Ethereum blockchain, is kind of singular and everything gets processed in one train, as it were. So everything backs up and backs up and backs up and the most famous example being crypto kitties at the time when <laughs> the, the whole of <laughs> Ethereum went uh, crashing down and people couldn't trade their, their crypto kitties and, and even worse, the cost of the transactions went up proportionally. So that showed two uh, major flaws in Ethereum at the time. Obviously, they're addressing that now, but Ethereum was struggling. So the guys at NUS were working on a project to create uh, an academic solution called you know, sharding, where they looked at ways to divide up transactions and create a network that could process simultaneously a lot of transactions enough to cope with any demand. And so that was the basic theory. And that's something which is really important when you have a sudden spike of transactions. And so we can deal with a huge amount of transactions simultaneously. It's uh, fundamental. Transactions per second is fundamental to real-world enable enablement of blockchain. Nice. So are you trying to tell me that you guys cracked the code that Ether couldn't crack? Well, uh, it's... <laughs> we don't claim too, too, too much of uh, the, uh, you know, people called a lot of the early alternate networks Ethereum killers, right? But it's not really like that. It's more of a generational change. So you have one blockchain, which does six transactions per second or so, like Bitcoin, then another one which does 15 per second, like Ethereum 1. Then you get other guys coming up with solutions like Zilliqa that can do 2,800 plus. And now I think uh, Ethereum 2 is saying that they can do 10,000 per second with their new version, which should roll out over the coming years. Nice. No, one's, no one's entirely sure. But that problem is, is going to go away. And uh, that's great because we don't really want anyone to have to think about blockchains when they're doing a transaction. Mm. Oh, which blockchain shall I choose? Because this one's slow, this one's medium, this one's mm. fast. It's uh, something that should, should be seamless and happen behind the scenes. Um, hopefully we're the major blockchain providing all of these transactions, but it shouldn't really matter to an individual in a store, for example, when they're paying with a credit card, which has uh, some kind of crypto uh, payment option. It should happen really fast. Nice. Kind of like the internet, right? Nobody really cares about who's providing Wi-Fi and whatnot. Yeah, right. I mean the, the guys at the at the vendors care because they're trying to of get your, get to your make money, twenty dollars right? a month. <laughs> but uh, the, but yeah, the end user. It's I mean, a commodity at some point in time. Completely, and and the whole original thinking behind ARPANET and the internet was, uh, you know, packets which you couldn't really uh, stop. Mm -hmm. So even in a in a nuclear war meltdown, the uh, you know defense of the US could be supported through all these nodes all around the world that would send the internet packets without being uh, tracked, traced or blocked. Yeah, Obviously, exactly, times exactly. have changed, but uh, <laughs> there's a bit more uh, control. There are, there are more innovations there. Right? But there, there's other ways to decentralize. So yeah, it's an ongoing innovation. Yeah. So then why should I consider using like a blockchain um, transaction platform compared to a traditional transaction platform? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think people are quite pragmatic and they say, well, if really a database solves your problem and does what you need it to do, then stick with using a database. The key part for uh, blockchain transactions is their immutability and their uh, verifiability and the fact that they cannot really be corrupted or otherwise manipulated um, in 
the right conditions, uh, such as blockchains like Zilliqa, which you know can't be hard forked, for example, or um, has, has a smart contract language, which it's uh, almost impossible to um, hack. So these things really for items of value, for uh, records which are critical, like certification, for example, uh, it's really important to have blockchain-type solutions to register in the database uh, something which cannot be tampered with. Which is the whole like NFT kind of thing. NFT is this on steroids. <laughs> so if you think, if you think originally um, Singapore went with a program called OpenCerts, so all of the universities signed up to provide certification for degrees and diplomas on the blockchain using the government standard. So at least all of the people with certs in Singapore could prove that they weren't fakes and so on, which is very useful. So now we've gone to health certs. So health certs will be like your immunity passport, right? So this is really important that, again, you can prove that you've had the vaccination, right? So the, you know countries around the world are trying to find the best uh, standard format, but all of it should be on the blockchain just to 100% prove that the individual is uh, immunized so they can travel. Mm. And, and that is like the utility side of things. Yeah. Right. But as an investor, why do I, why do I care? Yeah. So the next phase, the exciting phase right now is something like NFTs. So this ownership, this access to content, which is absolutely unique, can be 100% proven to be yours. And you are the one holding the uh, private key. So you're, you can trade that token um, on the marketplaces that are currently available. And generally, people are looking to trade at a profit. So that's something which is a key focus, looking at the right uh, content, whether it's crypto punks or hash masks or anything, where you see a fit for yourself. You're interested in maybe the digital art logic or how uh, other people are appreciating or trading this uh, token. So it, it's become quite a powerful incentive for people to get involved in content but also have a financial upside at some point many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and zep pound for those who qualify Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So is that kind of financial upside as simple as just buying and, you know, selling at a higher price? Or what are the kind of ways where we can profit from this? Yeah, so if you look at uh, DeFi exchanges, for example, there are ways of uh, just having a cryptocurrency that you own and then staking it into a liquidity pool, for example, like on our Zillswap platform, this uh, enables you to get a percentage of the transactions that are made through that overall exchange. And so there is um, payments that are due to you for putting your tokens in there. So uh, at that level, you can actually start to have residual income. Yeah. Okay, so, so what is staking? Staking is where you have uh, tokens from a project, a particular project. It could be silica or it could even be Ethereum now. Of course, they're moving to proof of stake. You take those tokens, you lock them into a smart contract for a period of time. 
that offers support uh, to the network uh, as a utility primarily, but also provides a token pool which other people can use to lend and borrow and uh, do other trading activities. Why does the network need your token? Well, it's an uh, interesting philosophy, but the commitment to the network from the community is really important. So everyone committing their tokens to uh, lock that in to support the network is a major sign of loyalty, support, and also defends the network effectively. It enables us, in our case, to have numerous nodes and offer decentralization, further decentralization for the transaction processing. How does that work? Because that is very ideological. You it know, is but from a utility front. Why do I need to give you my tokens? Well, from a utility point of view, it's it's it is effectively security, right? So you're providing security to the network. So that, to to me, is a fundamental commitment from um, those people who have our tokens to stake. Yeah. Yeah. How does that how does that translate to security? Like, just give me a little bit more understanding of like how me giving you my tokens in exchange for a little bit of profit gives you you know more secure network well the more nodes that we have uh, in this case the better it is for our for our network and the more decentralized that network is originally we started out with uh, most of the nodes in um, AWS um, that was uh, you know something which is most businesses go through most blockchains are using large uh, cloud service providers and eventually we can um, disseminate those nodes to other places and other cloud storage providers and other partners. So this is the theory of decentralization in practice. When more people participate in that, right? That's right. But then if everyone is on AWS, or if most people on AWS, Azure, you know, Google, and they form the base cloud infrastructure, doesn't it centralize at some point? Yeah, so that's the argument. The original launch of most networks is relatively centralized from a yeah. server node point of view, but Going forward, they eventually managed to decentralize over time using incentives such as staking. So I think we're at that point now where we're starting to see those models uh, unfold quite successfully. There are some extreme decentralizers like uh, IPFS, which is the in interplanetary filing system, which is uh, you know quite an interesting prospect because no one really knows where their content is stored <laughs> anywhere, on, anywhere on planet Earth. And people are given uh, an incentive token for you know, uh, providing that uh, server capacity. So these these models are really uh, exploratory, innovative, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go. Okay, and where are you guys going? Based on what Zilliqa is building, what kind of innovation can possibly come out of it? Well, we're in so many areas. I mean, uh, we have... Uh, Just help me imagine this. Uh, thing, right? <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, I think... I mean, we, we section it out, so so let's let's go uh, section by section. Uh, stable coins is an interesting concept. They are effectively national currencies, which are put into a cryptocurrency type uh, solution. We have a partner called Xverse, which runs XSGD, the uh, Singapore stable coin. So that's yeah. uh, Victor came last week. Compliant, okay. <laughs> so that's a compliant. Uh, uh, token for for um, uh, Singapore and others will be added over time. So providing stable coins can in fact uh, solve a lot of problems in, for example, the remittance industry where there's you know middlemen taking cuts and people not getting the full value of the exchange. So if you can look at Singapore as an example, uh, someone working here 
could go to Lucky Plaza and they could actually just scan a code. They could put their money in and they could get uh, XSGD and then send it to Indonesia. The person on the other end would get XIDR, for example, and then, you know, the middlemen are roughly taken out of the equation. Mm -hmm. So there would be like more margins, like for 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 the people that are participating. Yeah. So there's less be less being taken out of uh, of the salary being sent over. So it's quite important from a human point of view. Um, and taking the friction out is something that technology should always do in this kind of environment. In terms of securitization, we're obviously uh, heavily into uh, fractional ownership, so working with uh, HDX, which is an exchange, um, again, in the MES sandbox, so uh, fully compliant. We launched recently <laughs> the... Uh, so much compliance oh, going We're on. very careful with that. <laughs> Very careful with that, yeah. Uh, so it's quite interesting that Singapore has invested heavily in this sandbox approach to enable people to create and innovate uh, with these services which might be on the edge of current laws and practices. Uh, so obviously we uh, launched our first uh, securitized asset-backed security, which is uh, premium whiskey, um, earlier this year, and that, that went down very well. Uh, that's basically taking a whiskey cask, dividing it up into tokens and allowing people to buy the token, which equates to one bottle of whiskey. And uh, hopefully that appreciates over time. Uh, two or three years, then they bottle the whiskey and either you've already sold your token uh, on the market or you get the bottle of whiskey. So mm. either or you're, you're covered. Fair, fair. But it's a very different business in that sense. Yeah, so we have right. uh, partnerships. So because I think yeah. a lot of a lot of people in this space, they over-sensationalize the function and the utility of tokens yeah, yeah. because at the very base, it is just an infrastructure for transactions, all right? So you cannot simplify the idea of like investing in an alternative asset just because it is tokenized. You still have to look at how the asset works. So it's still a whiskey thing. Yeah, so you need to understand that you're investing in premium whiskey. You need to do your own research. You need to look at what the uh, you know growth has been over the last five or 10 years. You hopefully have an account as a credit investor with the, the partners, prime partners or Philip Capital, and they guide you through that process. Um, yeah, but, but it's definitely it's, interesting. It's, it's made more efficient through yeah, what we tokens. do. I mean, I, you know, we were talking to multiple different uh, parties on things like real estate, um, pre-IPO share sales. These things uh, unlock capital. It's really critical that we take this technology and apply it where it's absolutely at its most valuable. Unlocking capital, really important. And I think that uh, pre-IPO share sales are a really good example of that. So then if I'm not interested to participate in, you know, these other things because I have to learn about how, how that market works, right, essentially, how then can I profit from this process? Yeah, so I think in HDX you have uh, a model for people who aren't necessarily blockchain savvy or uh, otherwise too worried about what's happening under the hood. Uh, they will talk to their brokers as normal and say, I'm interested in investing in real estate, uh, premium whiskey, classic cars, uh, football clubs, uh, gold mines, anything that, anything that could be tokenized is going to be tokenized. There are so many exchanges now on planet Earth who are doing nothing but tokenizing different asset-backed securities and making that available to 
a wider public. So that's part of the theory of democratic capitalism, which I like to talk about, because it makes it eventually available to a much wider investor base. Mm. So fundamentally, that is still the same idea, where I have to learn about how you know that sports group make money, you know, and that is only a token to kind of facilitate a transaction. Sure. But if I'm not interested to be that end investor, I just want to profit from this process, you know, with different different tokens, and you know, be in this space of crypto. That means I only want to own, let's say, the internet in that sense. Right? How does that work for me, like as an investor? Is there is there like profit to be made in this space? Well, I assume uh, most <laughs> most funds are being being built to, to make profit, and you can invest in those other companies that are looking at these assets and they're managing it on your behalf. So that's, of course, it's a classic investor mechanism, but for me, it's just made more exciting by the fact that the blockchain industry is effectively dominating the distribution and, and liquidity of capital. Fair. And where do you think is the innovation in this space heading towards? Well, it's really about a peer-to-peer economy. So there isn't any block barrier or difficulty for anyone, anyone with a mobile phone, anyone with a smartphone anywhere in the third world country can be their own bank, be their own trader, um, be their own lending, borrowing partner, provider, be their own insurer. They, they have access to so many different things through decentralized finance, which are quick, easy, and uh, not necessarily huge, hugely expensive, but can just facilitate a much better life for folks who previously have not had access to any financial services in a meaningful way. Cool. Okay. So is there, you know, anything else you want to share with us, with our audience about, you know, the exciting projects that you guys are trying to do and whatnot? Yeah. So we're working very closely with a platform called Mintable, which is an NFT uh, minting platform, the one that Mark Cuban has recently invested in. They are issuing a, a token sale for a hundred year old piece of art this week and uh, it's just amazing to see the great grandson of the artist uh, allowing his uh, family work to be Uh tokenized and uh, therefore people just to go onto a a website and participate in an auction for a piece of work which has undoubted value Uh, the artist himself had many exhibitions around the world permanent exhibitions um, in the last uh, 20, 30 years. And so enabling access to fine art in this way, to me, is quite compelling. Um, Okay, the ticket price could be hefty, but at least you can literally go on a website and put down to buy uh, a piece of art, which is 100 years old. Nice. Okay, cool. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared debated and discussed join our community telegram group follow us on our social sign up for our weekly newsletter everything is in the description below and if you love us will help us grow definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials also if you have some interesting thoughts to share or know someone that you want to hear more from reach out to us through hello at the financial coconut.com with that have a great day ahead stay tuned next 
week and always remember, personal finance can be true, clear and sustainable for all. Okay, so I get that the interview today is a little bit technical, a bit like broad strokes, you know, and I just want to take this time to just kind of add on a little bit on, based on what I understand and what I've learned so far, you know, um, over this one month of talking to all these like people in the Bitcoin space or in the crypto space and the blockchain space, okay? So essentially what a lot of these guys are trying to do is to tokenize things, right? And when you tokenize things, you really got to understand that it is merely a tool to care read the underlying asset, kind of like REITs, right? You're buying REITs, but actually what is under the REIT is properties, right? So when you're buying a particular token, you know, you, what is behind that token is, you know, maybe an art piece, maybe a soccer player, maybe something, right? But what is important is to understand that although you need to understand the underlying asset before you can really make the decision of, okay, whether am I investing in this token or not? Because there's an underlying thing that you need to, you know, know what you're buying. The idea behind these kind of tokens, behind smart contracts, behind all these kind of blockchain, you know, platforms is that it is really empowering and allowing more of these things to exist, you know, uh, as it becomes cheaper and more accessible to more people. But it does not change the fundamental reality that you still need to learn how to, you know, evaluate whiskey, how to evaluate sports team, how to evaluate arts, you know, those things don't change. So while a lot of like blockchain technology, Bitcoin, Ether, whatnot, they are really increasing access, you still need to learn the baseline, okay? So that is what I have to share with you. And um, of course, there are things like mining, things like, you know, um, stacking and all those kind of stuff where you can essentially kind of lease the your crypto assets to all these companies so that they can, you know, continue to operate in a quote-unquote safer and broader, wider network, more reliable. And you get a little bit of a, a percentage yield out of it, right? So, um, it is very big. You can check out this website called DeFi Pulse. D-E-F-I-P-U-L-S-E dot com. Over there, they show you all the most interesting projects out there today, all these DeFi projects that, you know, if you want to participate, you can go ahead, but this is not a recommendation. Please go and learn more stuff and I hope uh, this one month of content has given you a, a better understanding of what is going on in this crypto space. So yeah, meanwhile, take care. See ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.